Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Joined today by Sherry Riano, Vice President of Business Development for DNJ Mortgage. Sherry has been helping clients realize their home ownership dreams for over 16 years, and her passion lies in helping people properly position themselves so that they can leverage maximum benefit from their mortgage. As one of the first DNJ Mortgage team members, Sherry was instrumental in building DNJ's reputation as the most customer service focused mortgage firm in the service area. As one of the top producers from 2009 through 2014, Sherry achieved a customer satisfaction rating of 95% over the past five years and ranked top loan officer in the origination news. Sherry joins us today to discuss the upcoming HUD-1 closing process changes for this year. Now, let's welcome Sherry to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. So, Sherry, thank you for being my co-host today, and thank you for taking the time to explain to all of our listeners what these – i it's probably going to be some of the biggest changes to happen to the real estate industry in a long – maybe even 20, 25 years. And agents are not um, prepared, I think, in a lot of cases. And, and it's, it's good that you're our guest today because your uh, loyal host, yours truly, is ignorant about a lot of these points as well. So I'm really looking forward to learning about – what agents need to be doing differently now in preparation for, what, October 1st? Is that when you told me these new regulations kick in? So these rules will actually start October 3rd. Um, they were extended from the original August 1st date, and they gave us to the, the CFPB gave us to the 3rd of October. So that's when we're going to really see these things kick in. So anybody that is, applies for a mortgage on that date moving forward, these rules will apply to. So here's there's a lot of... Uh, these regulations, guys, are things that you need to be ready to talk about with your sellers and with your uh, buyers um, because it, it's going to affect both sides of the transaction. So, uh, Sherry, let's just start out. You and I have some questions we're going to work off of, but I think also we can kind of steer the conversation in different ways so it's very specific about how agents can use this information and preparing because technically this is kind of happening at a, a real difficult time of the year because, you know, closings all of a sudden are going to start taking 30 days longer. The whole process is going to take longer for approvals. But let's start out with, um, can, you, can you just give us a, an overview of what changes are happening, at, you know, as yeah. specifically pertains to the agents' uh, businesses, what they need to be aware of? So, you know, what they're going to need to be aware of is that we're taking away their normal HUD-1 at closing that they weren't used to. And on, you know, and they've been used to talking um, with clients over the years about a good faith estimate. You know, we get them, we encourage them to shop as real estate agents. We want them to make sure that they know what they're paying in fees. And so both of those forms, as we know them, will no longer exist. Um, they're going to be replaced by two new forms. There's something called the loan estimate form that's going to replace what was our initial truth in lending and good faith. Um, and then also there's going to be a new um, closing disclosure form, excuse me, that's going to replace the final truth in lending and the HUD-1 settlement statement that most realtors are used to working off of at the closing table. 
And the key thing on the closing disclosures that we should probably keep in our mind is that, um, you know, we're going to have to have that to the borrower within three days. They have to have full three days disclosure of this. Now we were at a standard two-page form before, and now we're going to a standard five-page form. So there's going to be a lot of additional information out there to review at closing, and we're going to need to prepare our buyers and sellers for that as well. Okay, so you just said something that's really important. Uh, historically, it's not unusual for the final HUD-1, which is going to be a you know ancient term here in a matter of days. Mm-hmm. That's been something that sometimes when the title companies are really busier because they're waiting on the mortgage company to get the you know documents over, whatever, whatever. We're, before, they could actually not have the final docs until the day of closing. And now, if I heard you correctly, because this is the first time I'm learning a lot of this stuff, you're saying that now the law is that that information has to be in the borrower's hands. You said uh, three days prior to closing. Is that what I heard you say? That is correct. A minimum of three business days prior to closing. Okay, so that's interesting. Let, let's let's just let's hover here for a second. So sure. Seventy-two hours. Seventy-two hours prior to the closing, all the things that the borrower is going to be signing has to be in their hands for them to review. Is that what you just said? That is correct. Okay. So what if? So you're saying that no changes can happen, and if there are any changes, because all of us in real estate are so used to last minute changes, right? Uh, so right. Are, well, then what happens, right? So the seventy-two mm-hmm. hours, three days from now, closing's happening. Uh, oh my gosh, there's a change. Are we then having to basically wait another 72 hours, or how does that work? Okay, so here's what we really want to focus on. If there are any of these three changes, we're going to have to restart the clock for another three days. So if there was a loan product change, a pre-penalty change added or changed, or if we had an increase in the APR in eighth, from the so we we've produced one we had to make some changes in the middle whatever changed then we'd have to wait another three days now here's an example where we would not have to wait three days maybe we forgot the home inspection okay on the first three-day disclosure so what we could do is we could re-disclose with a new closing statement showing the home inspection on there so everybody could see it, and we'd only have to wait one day. Now, this is somewhat up to interpretation by the CFPV and the lenders you're working with. I think, Tim, what the key thing is I would want to leave everybody with today is make sure that your lending partner knows all these rules. Go to coffee with them. Talk to them about how their company's going to respond. Some companies don't feel like it's going to take them that additional 30 days. So we, we know normally we were closing on a 30-day cycle. You know, we've been doing that for years, right? Yeah. So now, like some of the bigger banks are saying, you know what, we're going to be pushed out to 60 days. Some of us in small community banks and some mortgage brokers are saying, no, we're not. We're prepared. We're ready for this. We've, you know, done everything the CFPB has asked us to do. And so we'll be ready to continue to close and help you get your transactions move forward in about a 35-day basis. But you really need to understand what your partner is going to be able to do. Well, so that's very interesting. You d- again, I'm thinking like an agent, right? So from an agent's mm-hmm. perspective, what you're saying is that uh, hypothetically, the bigger banks, at least initially, are going to be at a disadvantage uh, because they might take as long as 60 days to get a loan, to get a deal closed. So, guys, just putting this in perspective, and Sherry just said it, but it's really critical that you guys get this. 
So you put a listing, let's say it's your listing, you put a deal in contract, your listing's in contract, the buyer's you know, in contract. Now you have to time out what happens next, right? And that's where things get hard. Where's the seller going to go, timing this, timing that, the movers, the you know, anticipated uh, school start dates this time of year, those are always a concern. Uh, if it's a reload, whether or not they'll, you know, guys, think about this. Starting October 3rd, uh, I would, if I were you guys, not knowing, especially if you're a listing agent, not knowing who the borrower's lender is going to be, who your buyer's lender is going to be, I would start prepping psychologically and financially your sellers to anticipate a 60-day closing. So, Mr. Seller, in our marketplace, it takes an average of 60 three days to sell a house, let's say. Now, before October 3rd, we would be able to anticipate a closing within realistically, you know, right around 93 days because 30-day closing process. But now we have to be conservative when we're planning, Mr. Seller, and we have to be looking at this whole process from beginning, my sign goes in the yard, the showing start to end could take as long as 120 days. So, you know, basically four months. And you need to be planning accordingly. Now, guys, that is going to cause a lot of confusion because – as she just said, which I think is an incredibly good point, if the borrower comes in and their lender is a small community bank lender or whatever, whatever, and they can get it done in 35 days, well, then, you know, then that's going to change the uh, moving plans and whatnot. And the maybe the buyer or maybe that, you know, seller is becoming a buyer and they're moving up or moving down and they're in contract on something. I mean, guys, you're going to have to – well, here's the bottom line, and this is more true than ever. Um, Sherry, do you know the F word in real estate? It's not a bad Tim, word. I do, you know, no, go it's ahead. Not a bad Share word. it with me. It, it, <laughs> it's, flex, it's flexibility. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely can do that. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, guys, there's your little joke that you can start using with all your real estate clients because that's what they're going to have to be more than ever. So, um, right. So, when you're talking with buyers, right, you're, you're prepping buyers, what is their experience going to be like now when they're getting a mortgage? Is it going to be more paperwork, more checking, more things to do, or is it going to be less? Describe to the you know lenders what? how that's going to work. Sure. For for the buyers, really, it's not going to be harder. Um, these forms really are more simplistic, and it's going to be even easier for them to really get out here and comparison shop, prevent surprises at closing. These forms are key to that. Now, I think we've all experienced that. I know we've heard stories, and because, of course, you guys are going to know better than I, but, you know, there's plenty of times you go to the closing, and you'll have your buyer look at you and go, that's not what I was told whether that be the payment, whether it be the cash to close, maybe both, these forms will eliminate having any more of those conversations. And I think sometimes, especially if you, you know, when you're, you're the realtor and sometimes the lender doesn't go, you know, all of us are not disciplined and go to our closings, um, you know, you're there by yourself to answer questions that typically, you know, they're really not yours to answer. They're, they're on the lending side. So there should be no more of those heartburns that you've had in the past. Well, you said it right. I mean, I've been closings, uh, you know, I remember a lot of closings where basically something would change from the lender at the last minute, and the lender wasn't there. And it was left to the agents and the title companies to kind of wade through it. And hypothetically, we're hoping, best case scenario, that's not going to happen anymore. So from the lender's perspective, what's changed? Like when you guys are now going through the process of trying to qualify, after October 3rd, you're trying to get a buyer qualified, uh, let the listeners know what has changed and i'm sure it's still going to be credit based it's going to be what what other things are put into the stew to come up with an approval you know 
what we're doing, let me speak to my company because I can really talk about that. So what we have kind of done is been proactive. We were starting to do this in May. So we've kind of gone to the pre-approval doesn't really exist in our world the way that it did before. We are getting clients all their information. We're getting them approved really before they even, if we can advise it, to go ahead and, and get in the car with you. We want to have a full approval issue to them. One thing, then that keeps us on that 35-day, you know, close time that we've discussed. And it also lets the, you know, we don't have any bumps in underwriting because we've already addressed them all. Um, but really, the underwriting piece, the only thing that has changed for us is that, you know, we just have to make sure we know all the fees. So again, when you're working with your lender partner, any fees you know that are, we're going to occur, you want to share that with them. Um, you know, a lot of times we, we don't always get told about surveys or whether the home inspection is getting done. You know, and of course, you know, home inspection is a sensitive term between a real estate agent and a lender, right? Because a real estate agent doesn't want to show it to us and not necessarily we want to see it, right? <laughs> so that's a lot of times they're great. I don't want to really tell them that we did that, so I don't want to tell them about the fee, but those are things we're going to have to know in the future. And some lenders are going to require that if we have it on that settlement statement, that closing disclosure, that they see it. And that's something else you're going to want to sit down and talk to your preferred lender and understand what they're going to require of you if you do disclose that fee. Well, so you because brought up something very – well, Sherry, you just brought up something very interesting. It's worth drilling down on. I know it probably doesn't happen in your market, but in California this happens, and there's – like agents are told your borrower is pre-approved, whereas the pre-approval and pre-qualification for most of the country – I realize it's probably not true with your part of the country – those two terms are used interchangeably and really have no value. And what you guys got to be doing, and you heard Sherry just say it, is when you have a borrower, you've got to get them literally through the process where all the verifications have been done. Some of you guys who are, again, working with borrowers, or you get a buyer in on one of your listings, and the, buyer, and the buyer's agent says, well, they've been pre-approved, and you get the lender's letter, you always, first of all, ask for the lender's letter. Hopefully you guys are all doing that. Um, then you call up the lender, and you ask if there's any uh, – verifications, right? Do they need to verify the employment, the down payment? Do they need to verify whether the person's got a job? I mean, some of you guys are in habit of accepting these really, um, you know, half-baked lender's letters where all they were was a conversation that this borrower had with this lender while he was playing golf, and the borrower gave them their whatever, whatever, and then the guy called his, you know, admin and said, turn out a lender's letter for, you know, and that was it. So there was no verification. So when you get a lender's letter, you got to read the whole thing. And if you say, you know, Johnny and Susie are approved for whatever and mortgage amount, whatever purchase price, and then you go to, usually it's the second paragraph, subject to the verification of. Now, sometimes the subject to the verification language is said a different way, but you have to make sure that lenders actually done their job. That's how it's worked in the past, Jerry. Is that still going to be kind of a problem where, lender, where agents have to be really drilling down to make sure the loan officer actually did a, a true uh, pre-approval, or has that changed? I think it's wise for them to always drill down to ask the question. Pick the phone up before you make the offer. If the lender cannot tell you 100% that they have seen returns, they've seen pay stubs, they've seen assets, you potentially really, based off underwriting guidelines nowadays, you know, there's so many crooks and hooks to them that you could just be sitting on a box of dynamite waiting for it to explode up under you. So I never think it's wrong for someone to, as a real estate agent, to go and ask the questions. And if the lender doesn't want to answer them, then that's usually not a good sign for you. 
Well, the lender doesn't want to answer them because they don't have the answers to the questions themselves because they actually haven't asked the questions. And so, so there's I mean, your red flag. Yep, that's absolutely your red flag. Your red flag. Mm-hmm. I have, do you know of any national statistics on the number of people that apply for mortgages versus the numbers that basically just flat out don't qualify? Do you have any statistics on that? Do you have any I, idea? I do, I do not off the top of my head. I apologize. Um, but I, could, I just went through, um, we have a local chapter here that I'm a, a member of Realtors Women's Council, and they we were just having a general conversation, so the numbers are just rough, but there was about 100 of them sitting there, and they were, they were expressing you know, how many times they get a pre-approval letter, a pre-qualification letter, and then you know two weeks before closing, or not even that, sometimes it's two days before closing, they get told, oh, this borrower didn't qualify from day one. Big question mark. How did we get here? <laughs> so that tells me you didn't do your due diligence as the lender up front and, and find out whether they qualified, whether they had unreimbursed expenses or they had child support. I, I hear those conversations all the time, and I, I, it's a big question mark in my head. How do you ever get to that point doing my job? Because that's well, a big requirement of I, that. I, I, I feel, I can tell you do too, I feel totally sorry for the agent who's basically given up their nights and their weekends and their time with their family or their time with other clients to go work with this buyer because the lender, I, I mean, ultimately, you guys, you have to take responsibility for it. You have yep. to listen to what Sherry and I are saying. You, I'm, There's an old Ronald Reagan quote, which I love. It's trust but verify, <laughs> right? Mm, so when you exactly. Get, when you get that lender's letter, you can trust it, but you got to friggin' verify it. you got to drill down. you got to call in. you got to say, are these verifications done? You know, so this is going to go back to Lenders Letters 101. What are the things that you guys will do on that initial – or like what, what has to be uh, checked for following these new regulations for someone to get – I know you have to have actual verification of employment. You're, there's a procedure for doing that, a procedure to verify down payment, a procedure to all that. But mm-hmm. for you to feel comfortable, Sherry, telling an agent that this is a good buyer, what, what do you – what has to, have, has to be done nowadays? Well, what I require is I always look at their returns. I go back to that. You look at their pay stubs. You look at their assets where they're telling us they're getting the down payment from. You verify those three key things, right? Because the next things that we have to look at, because at that, that point we've reviewed credit, so they're credit qualified, their asset and income qualified. So the only thing we need to worry about at that point is the appraisal. And then, of course, if, if we have a home inspection that has any questions to it. So I require my clients, I tell them right up front, um, I make them wait 24 hours to get a letter from me. I work on the weekends. So I do things a little bit different. There's some lenders that don't work on the weekends. I do. And I have clients send stuff to me because I don't want them to miss an opportunity in a hot market like we're in. You know you need to get out there. You need to have that letter to show that your client's good. So I require that I see all those things. And any good lender it's going to require to see that too to give you a good letter. I also, just on my letter, and I'm happy to share this uh, with everybody, Tim, I, my letter breaks down and says, you know what, I've already gone through automated underwriting. I've already had an underwriter review my income assets and everything, so they know. I mean, I'm almost walking cash because everything's already been approved, minus, again, your appraisal and title work. So that's the only thing that your lender's letter would be still subject to is the appraisal and the title work. So when you send the lender's letter over, okay, that, that's that's the bottom line. So uh, listeners, when you get a letter back from a, uh, a lender, 
um, make sure that the only – what's the other the language that sometimes is subject to the verification of, and sometimes the phrasing is a little bit different? What are the types of things, the red flags that an agent should be looking for in a lender's letter to show that basically that lender hasn't done squat for that borrower's approval? What, any other a little insight? A common, a common term I've seen used is you'll see it in parentheses or down in the footer, and it'll be real faint in a fake gray font that'll say, um, you know, <laughs> approval subject to, you know, underwriter's review of, and then it just lists all that, it lists all the stuff that you may have verbally said, did you do this? And they said yes, and then if you look down at the bottom of the letter, it says they haven't. So that, yeah. that, that's always key because that's the lender's way out, right, from not having the seller sue them. <laughs> so, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, they've done their due diligence and you don't see that type of verbiage. You should see that, you know what, subject to the appraisal, subject to title work, subject to termite if we're doing a VA or so forth. But the others you should not see. You should already see verification that it's been done. Um, so agents out there, the only reason you wouldn't be listening, taking notes, taking this seriously is if in your mind you believe that buyers are hard to find. And so by asking a buyer to take their pre-approval process to the next level, maybe you're fearful that the buyer will basically want to go to a different agent. Okay. So Sherry, that's a kind of an interesting thing to talk about. How do you, uh, exp say like, for example, another loan officer doesn't require, um, so much information uh, prior to issuing a letter, okay? Mm -hmm. So you mm -hmm. do. You're actually doing your job. You're doing it the ethical, moral way. Um, mm -hmm. How do you keep the buyers understanding that you're going to put them through more of a rigmarole than, say, Johnny Lender down the way who's going to be more than happy just to turn out some sort of you know, garbage lender's letter? How do you actually well, make them stay committed to you and the agent? Well, I explained to them the difference of having a letter that only, you know, hey, you, you told me what your income was. You let me look at your credit. Sometimes they don't even do that. But I explained the devastation that can be had by people not reviewing their documentation. I have never had a client walk away from me or my lending, my realtor partners for that reason. Never. I take the time to explain to them, look. If I don't look at your tax returns, you may have a write-off that, unfortunately, I may have to reduce your income, which you wouldn't qualify. We don't want to have that happen when we've got, you know, the kids have been in the house and the wife's in the house and everybody loves it, and all of a sudden I have to come back and say no because I didn't ask for that. You know, or, you know, source your income or source your assets. You know, are you sure that the down payment's coming from where you're telling me from and it's not from your cousin Bob or coming out of the mattress? So from a right. So from a lender's uh, from a lender's perspective, um, subprime loans aside, right? From a lender's perspective, yeah. how much more work it, are are these new regulations putting on you guys? I would say we put in probably an extra fifteen hours on each, each transaction. Each file. Wow. Yep. And that and the fifteen hours is spent doing the collecting or just basically talking with the customer about why there's so much extra paperwork needed. Where's that extra 15 hours going? So that 15 hours is spread out through the process. It's not on one individual, thank goodness. But it is a lot of talking about being prepared up front, you know, that as soon as anything changes on their part that they let us know. Um, I think what we need to, to, to be prepared for on the real estate side is, though, as soon as your offer is accepted, you need to get everything to your lending partner. 
you know, give them all the information, the seller sheet, whether it's a condo, whether it's an HOA, you know, get title requested ahead of time. If there are any addendums or contract changes that you make sure your lending partner has it. Sometimes in our busy world when we're handling multiple transactions, it can be easy that you know what, you didn't send that to the one person that really needs it, which is the lender. And that, in this world of TRID, will definitely delay your closing. Gotcha. Um, so are there any other uh, words of advice that you'd like to pass along to the potentially hundreds of thousands of agents listening right now? I'll, I'll get you started, okay? So guys, okay. the joke is, the joke is, and maybe the joke didn't work too far, too well in the South, I don't know. Sherry, I think, turned white when I asked her this question. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so the joke might be to break, kind of like, you know, make people laugh and feel relaxed is ask them what, uh, you know, what's the F word in real estate? And, you know, maybe that'll make some people uncomfortable. That's okay, too. And then tell them it's flexibility. So maybe for until lenders, title companies, everybody gets this sorted out, expected to take uh, about a year for people to feel really comfortable with this new process, um, you know, figure out a way to condition everyone that it's going to take longer and it's going to be more of a hassle than it's been in the past. That is just the bottom line. I also heard Sherry say something that if I were as an active agent, I'd be all over this. Find a lender that operates like Sherry, or if you're in one of the markets that she works, by all means, send her loans, and then um, guess what? She can get your stuff done in 35 days. So if you're talking to a buyer and trying to get a buyer to commit to working with you, and you can say, well, I happen to know this incredible lender named Sherry, and she's going to be able to get your get us done in 35 days where everyone else is going to take 60, that is a huge um, tool for you guys to get folks to be committed to you. Another thing to think about, you have houses listed, you get co-op offers in, the co-op offers basically are saying 60-day close. You can tell that buyer's agent, suggest that they call Sherry or somebody else who can close them uh, quicker than 60 days. So you guys can use this time of change and, let's be honest, a lot of confusion to your advantage. And, and one other little uh, point that it's really critical you understand, when you're talking to a seller, you need to prep them with the idea that the process is now going to take 30 days longer than normal, right? The process right. to move. So if they're thinking, I'm going to be in my new house by Christmas or I'm going to be in a new house by spring, you need to say, listen, Mr. Seller, we need to kind of, you know, re-gauge this whole timeline so that you aren't caught with the moving truck sitting in front of your house with no place to go. We've all been in that situation. So, Sherry, yep. the 100,000-plus listeners out there, anything else you'd like to say to these guys? You know, again, I would encourage you to talk with your lending partners, talk with your title companies, make sure they're ready. Um, a lot of them are not taking this as serious. Um, I met with a couple um, in the last couple of weeks, and they were, they didn't realize how big of a deal this was really going to be for them. So it is important to make sure that no matter who you're partnered with, that they do know what they're doing and they're prepared for this. So otherwise, I would encourage you as a real estate agent, just make sure that you get everything to to the lending partner on time, and uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna do pretty good with this. I feel confident that this we will all do well with this once the initial twelve months goes past. Well, information like this is power because if your competitors' agents don't have this, um, you know you are now all of a sudden ahead of the curve. When you're talking to that potential seller, you can say, Mr. Seller, are you aware? And then the seller is probably going to even say, well, the other agents didn't tell me about that. That gives you guys um, a temporary advantage as the market figures all this out. I thought it was interesting what she just said about other lenders aren't even actually actively aware of this. They're going to be kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. So you, it's up to you 
as the practitioner, as the realtor, to take responsibility for all facets of the transaction. That's what your buyers and sellers are counting on you to do. That's the reason we provide this information for you. Um, Sherry, let them know how they can get a hold of you and what states you're licensed in to do loans. Uh, Obviously, if you guys are able to do business with her and you're looking for a fantastic lender, I would certainly use her. Thank you, Tim. So I can be reached. um, Well, first, let's talk about where I land. I land from Maryland to Florida. So I can lend on any of those states. I do all types of lending, VA, conventional, FHA, USDA. Um, So I have a wide range of products. Um, I can be reached at Sherry. And that's S-H-E-R-R-Y at SherryRiano.com. And I also can be reached by phone at 919-219-3887. Love to hear from you. If you have any questions, feel free to also reach out to me for that. I am a huge believer in education. It gives us all power. And I'm also always happy to help anybody I can. And you are also available to speak on this topic uh, for other radio shows, real estate offices, brokerages. You are also available for uh, more educational stuff for folks that are interested uh, in engaging with you that way as well, correct? That is correct. All right, Sherry, I really appreciate your time today. I learned a lot. Um, You know, I have to say, after listening to you, it's a little bit less threatening than it originally sounds. You made it very easy to understand. And uh, So listeners, if you guys need any added help, obviously reach out to her. If you're in the market where you can actually work with her as your lender, obviously it's a no-brainer to do that. In the meantime, everyone will talk with you on the radio tomorrow. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks, Tim. Bye-bye. This program is a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.